Okay, here we go. Episode 15 of Thelma and Tom Look Left. And uh, yeah, exciting day today. We've got a, a, a return guest, our first return guest. I'm really pleased about that. Clive Lewis has agreed to come back on and talk to us again, which is nice. Had a really nice time last time. Uh, anyway, Thelma, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thanks, Tom. Uh, quite busy with different things, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and I don't know what we're going to have on our agenda today, because I know every time we say there's a lot going on, yeah. um, you know, we won't fit it all in in the time we've got. Uh, but at the moment, there really is a lot going on, isn't there? I know, um, I know. And we, I, I, I don't, I'll just tell the listeners, I mean, we have this kind of vague plan we don't always stick to, where we meet up a couple of days, not physically on Zoom, we meet up on Zoom a couple of days before the podcast and we go through the news and we pick out what we think are going to be the the big talking points. And um, of course, in the two days after that, huge amounts of stuff happen and we get to the podcast and we and have to have another discussion, what we're going to talk about. Anyway, I think what we're going to go with today, Thelma, the, undoubtedly the biggest news of the, of the last week has got to be the fact that we got nil points in the Eurovision Song Contest, surely. Oh, oh I mean, no, I, mean, I know. How I mean, humiliating. It was just, and it was really interesting for me because we'd been out Saturday evening, came back in just for the, the scoring at the end, um, but um, our, our youngest son's partner um, is Swiss-Italian um, with an Italian father <laughs> and a Swiss mum. So you can imagine what it was like when those scores were coming in. And there, there's, there's UK with nothing. <laughs> he had these divided loyalties <laughs> between the, um, the Italian um, song and, and the Swiss song. So it was quite, um, it, it was quite funny as well. But yeah. But, oh, oh, I mean, what does it say, really? I mean, for the last, I don't know how many years, we've done really badly, haven't we? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I've got to be honest, so don't watch it. But for the, for the purposes of research for this podcast, I did <laughs> listen to the British song. I don't know if it was British or English. I don't know. Um, by UK, the, the, yeah. Yeah, UK, yeah. I mean, it, it was quite bad, to be fair. <laughs> did, did you hear it? <laughs> the end of it i mean i i tend to tune in at the end um every time and i do i must say i do like graham norton's um witty one-liners all the way through yeah he's good so i kind of i kind of tune in for graham norton and and the outfits to be honest with you um uh, but uh yeah it was uh yeah i have listened to it um he seems a really nice bloke yeah um, he does yeah uh, and and he has won um awards i believe um, for, for his singing in the past so so um, he seems to have taken it on the chin and, and be taking it with good humour. Um, but I, I just think it, um, I don't know, that, that well, I, what, you, you, yeah, you just I, sense I mean, that, there's, there's... Yeah, just, just the sense of the, you know, the European countries and their, their, their feelings towards us. Is this, I mean, maybe I'm generalising, but it, it, does it just symbolise how we're seen by many countries um, in Europe, um, or certainly our government is. Um, and it's just a sad indictment, really, um, that, that so little... It almost seems like a lack of respect um, and, and almost making a point of, of not showing 
uh, support in any way by even giving a couple of points or whatever. But it did. Yeah. It was like tumbleweed, wasn't it? You know, it was kind of really... It was, it was really, I mean, really awful. It, it has to be political. It has to be politics, doesn't it? I mean, we have yeah. become... Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it and sad to say it as well. We are quite an obnoxious country now, aren't we? I mean, the way we wow. stop people at the borders and we're rude to them and we pen them up and yeah. uh, and, and we I make know. rude comments about everybody else. And even I think even some of our uh, close allies are getting a bit pissed off with us, really. You know, you're getting comments yeah. coming out of America now where they're saying, come on. And, and uh, I, I, I can't really get it. I don't get it. it. It's this, um, I think it's this exceptionalism, isn't it, that's so obnoxious, you know, that yeah. we, you know, all this about British values, like nobody else has any decent values, you know, it's kind of, it's insulting to other people. And, and this exceptionalism, I, I, I just cannot, cannot accept, you know, um, th- this idea that we're superior to other people. And, um, and I think that's what, you know, really around Europe. They they look at us and when they look at the shambles that our government are in at the moment, um, you know, why why anybody should feel that we're superior to any... Well, I never think any human being should be superior to another anyway, but um, I I think, uh, yeah, it's it's got to the point where you almost think we'd be better just not joining in with with the the, the Eurovision and... (laughs) <laughs> reflects really, uh, really it's, badly. It's annual embarrassment, really. Yeah, it's, it's very disappointing what's happened. Mm-hmm. I've I got to say, you know, in, in the... In the late 60s, 70s, when I, I was travelling around a bit and um, uh, meeting loads of people from around the world and different countries, and we were all we were basically on what was then known as the Hippie Trail. And there were just thousands of us going, and we met everybody from all different nations, and, and we were always fascinated by each other and our lives and our cultures, and it just felt like the world was one huge, great big family, and, yeah. and which, of course, is the reality um and and it's so sad when this kind of behavior happens where you start to you know say yeah. like you were just saying you know that we're yeah. superior i mean what a load of crap i know um, I, I mean obviously it's not all of us here and you know i always say that we we you know we're a wonderful country um, I just wish I could get back that feeling of pride I used to have. Yes, um, that's right. And 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 that relationship of of having just such a good relationship with many people in Europe and around the world, um, and and they know, of course, that we're we're not all like the people in our government at the moment. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, I'm sure that. they do know that. I just think they're a bit bewildered about what's happening to our country. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, as are, that's as the are message we. I'm get- yeah, as are we. As are we. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're yeah. quite right. That's that's absolutely that's my reading of the situation completely yeah so that that's that anyway there you are that's covered that and i mean i know it starts as a joke nil point but it's a it is yeah. it is a point isn't it anyway yeah. the next big thing obviously that's happened this week is is dominic cummings and now oh, i'm going to ask you straight boy. out thelma i mean who do you believe here uh i know who i kind of believe but i mean you're it's like Oh, it's such a mess, isn't it? Anyway, what do you think, Thelma? Well, well um, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because when you've got a person who clearly lacks integrity uh, criticising a group of people, 
and in particular a Prime Minister that appears to lack integrity, <laughs> it's a very difficult call, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what, what I actually do feel is that what he said in that, was it seven, year, seven hours he was, he was being questioned um, in Parliament yesterday, is that there's a lot of truth. But what I'm kind of a bit gobsmacked about is it's a lot of things we all already knew anyway. You know, the kind of sending people with COVID back into care homes. Well, that, that, we did know that that was happening. Um, lack of PPE, faulty PPE. We, we knew that. Anyway, um, it's just that the the mainstream media, to my mind, apart from one or two exceptions of some journalists that have been following it, um, but most didn't give it the coverage. um, And because, in my opinion, we haven't got the opposition opposing and challenging um, and going with the government and saying now is not the time and... Um, during a pandemic, we need to pull together, etc. And and then, to my mind, making them complicit by by not being really forceful in opposition um, against what was happening and and calling for resignations as well. That still is not happening even today after that evidence. So with Dominic Cummings, I think, I mean, where he was tying himself in knots was that Barnard Castle as to how he regretted it and what, I mean, it was like a spoof. It was just, you know, I'm really sorry, uh, you know, and, but I almost think that what he's doing now is um, backed by others. Right. I think, I, I think the, I mean, Rishi Sunak seemed to come out of it very well considering he he was the one with the um eat out to help out um which was found to have have really increased the infection rate um and tragically the death rate um but that didn't seem to be uh within as far as i know unless i missed it because i didn't i i got a lot of it on catch up um but but the certain people that even in that seven hours were being protected yesterday and um, I think Michael Cove has kind of gone very quiet recently, yeah, isn't hasn't weird? he? Yeah, Where's he it's gone? It's really weird. I don't know. It's very weird. Um, so I, I would say, um, and we do know that uh, Michael Gove and, and Cummings have worked together very closely in the past, um, especially um, the DfE in education yeah. in the past. So yeah. we know there's a history there. We know that Michael Gove has gone extremely quiet recently. We know that Rishi Sunak came out of yesterday okay. Um, and Matt Hancock seems to be, uh, justifiably, I suppose, but certainly not on his own, um, the one that seems to be, um, uh, well, the, the, the one that's really um, being the scapegoat, although obviously um, lies uh, seem to have been told over many things. Um, but how Cummings can say what he's saying and being so much part of it all um but yet still protecting certain people i i think this is just all my uh opinion um so i think there's 
Maneuvers going on as I always yeah. call it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Maneuvers. Interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, and I think it's it's good. I mean, that's it's good to be able to kind of look at what's going on behind what we're being presented with, and that's kind of the interesting part of it, really. Uh, um, uh, what, what, what are your all, thoughts, Tom? What are your well, thoughts? Well, do you know what? I'm my... I think you're right what you, what you said in that we knew it all anyway, really. I mean, anybody that reads through the news and, you know, sees it for what it is, which is mostly just propaganda, come uh, knows all that was pretty much true, wasn't it, what he said? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know about the Barnard Castle thing. I mean, I, d I don't recall there being people outside his house threatening him with violence and stuff. Well, but it was never raised. Wouldn't you have thought no. it, that he'd have raised it at the time? Yeah, um, and, and, and anyway, what, why not Why not say something about it? I, I would have thought it would be a good thing politically to say, you know, look at this, I'm under threat. Anyway, what really strikes me, though, Thelma, is, I mean, what must... I kind of imagined that Boris and Dominic were mates and, and you know, they were working together in Downing Street to run the country and everything that was coming out of there, I thought it was like all stuff that was agreed between them and, oh, how should we spin this, how should we spin that? And I thought Dominic Cummings was, like, supposed to be a master of spin and, and he was running the country and blah, blah, blah. But when you see... It, it it's such it seems like it's such a toxic kind of atmosphere in that place you've got all these people and they're all power crazy and mm. they're all I, I mean i couldn't work in that environment i'd really no. well and not that i'm no. the kind of person that could work in many environments but but you know that's it, it's it must be exhausting to just yeah. be constantly having to watch your back and because i mean carrie's there and boris is there and i don't know there's all sorts of people there and at one point Cummins had his mate there, and he's. I, I've I've read a little about him. He's a, he's quite a difficult character as well. Can't remember his name, but um, you know, it, it's. I can't imagine uh, what it must be like. Well, I, I, I mean, I put something on social media the other week, and it, it wasn't just about number ten. But it was about Parliament generally, and, and all you know, kind of uh, parties, not all people, obviously in Westminster, but just said it's like a nest of vipers. You know, it's kind of who can you trust and. Um, and just that, as I mentioned, that lack of integrity. So, you know, your initial question of, uh, your original question of, uh, do I believe Cummings? Well, yes, I do, because we can see that a lot of the things that he said, we, we knew were happening anyway, but a lot of it was covered up with the Johnson bluster and um, a bit of Latin thrown in and, you know, and, and, and a lot of the voters do find Johnson entertaining and find him witty and um, and think, well, he's had a hard time and uh, almost feel sorry for him. Um, and he, he just seems to get away with it. But I would, I, you know, I would reiterate that if there was a, a, a an opposition doing the job and calling for resignations day after day after day, relentlessly, um, then, I, I you know, I think some of this could, not all obviously, because it's it's been a terrible situation, but, and, and I do think that one of the things that went through my mind yesterday was for those people who've lost loved ones during this pandemic, if they were listening in to, to that, um, that evidence yesterday, um, where they'd lost their loved ones unnecessarily um, in the care homes or, or wherever, uh, working on the wards, um, I, I just think it must be so... Uh, well, they must 
heartbroken, but also very angry. Um, yeah. And, and the fact that the opposition have still not called for resignations today, um, I, I just think is terrible. Uh, utter shambles, utter shambles. And, and, and one or two, one or two Labour MPs and journalists are starting on Jeremy. <laughs> I, I, I mean that I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Started, you know, another character assassination on Jeremy. It's, it, it was it's his fault. I, I, at that, I, I, I was just absolutely gobsmacked at that. Really, I mean, just you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think few people do need to take responsibility. Um, in the opposition as well as uh, those in government um but uh, yeah we'll see um i mean i don't know what you think tom but i, I, I don't i can't see anybody handing in their resignation um, no I, th- I think this is just going to blow away and on, on we go i mean Cummins yeah. have lost a job i don't know if he'll kick up any more fuss it's possible he might have some physical documents or something that he can make a bit of mm. trouble with um, but he's he's finished really now, isn't he? And um, he's said his bit. Um, you, he's you got a lot to... of contacts in powerful play, in positions, though. Um, well, you've got, got the Gove thing, haven't you? I mean, that's the thing you, you, you brought up earlier, that he, if he's mates with Gove, we, we may not have seen the end of him. Um, um, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see um, what happens. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's shocking... Um, for those people who, as I say, who've lost loved ones, where there's not even a resignation, um, yeah, and uh, I, I just think it's uh, appalling. Really. It's interesting, Thelma, isn't it? In, in a because it was a national emergency, and in times of national emergency, mm. I suppose if you are the opposition, you don't want to be undermining in a huge way um, who the people who are dealing with the the real problem. But at the same time. It was so. It was so blatantly incompetent. They could have at least said something, but they didn't. They just kept going. Oh, da 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 da, and yeah. and they're, and they're still doing it. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. pathetic, really. Yeah, there there were certain basics. I mean, obviously, I would say the thing that the standout thing for me was Labour going with um, the children returning to school. Um, too early when they went back that one day if you remember yeah. after Christmas yeah. and and then obviously they changed their minds and, and Labour went with that um, and Labour didn't listen to the teaching unions either um, so that there's a, quite a few things where yes of course the government needs to take responsibility yes of course I understood at the beginning Labour having a policy of this is a national pandemic we need to pull together I get all of that but when you can see clearly what's happening with lack of PPE and faulty PPE and you can see people being sent home to care homes from hospital with COVID, then you have to speak out because that's what opposition's for. Um, Yeah. In my opinion. I think um, it would make a huge difference. It would have made a huge difference if there had been people there saying, hang on a minute, let's just look carefully at this here. Let's look what's happening. Uh, uh, um, But they they didn't. and, uh, And it seems to be the pattern. Uh, you know, you can't, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you're going to start thinking, blimey, they're both on the same side here. There's some kind of an agreement going on. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Labour Party at the moment are just pathetic. And, uh, you know, I, I try to be unbiased, but, you know, oh, goodness me. Yeah, well, it makes it, you know, I was in it, you know, I was in it for nearly 40 years. And it, it just makes me, well, it makes me both sad and angry. Um, uh, and obviously, I'm, 
I continue to, to work for democratic socialism. It's, there's different ways of doing it, aren't there? But it makes me sad to see what the Labour Party has become. Um, yeah. Where the, the best they can do is, in the middle of all of this, start asking whether Jeremy's had a vaccine or not. Or yeah. start to say that he, did, that he did something wrong over a year ago. And I just think, oh, is that the best? Is that the best you can do in opposition? It's yeah. just like ch- children, like children. Um, yeah. and, and almost an embarrassment, but actually I'm just sad, really sad. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the only positive you can take out of it, I suppose, or one positive you can take out of it, is that the, the, the more pathetic it all becomes with Labour... Uh, and the Tories really people are just seeing it and thinking what a what a a farce it's the younger generation that give me hope you know I've mentioned before these younger um, uh, political leaders like you know we've met Philip Proudfoot Mm, and we'll be meeting Alex Mays um, and and others um, it's the these younger journalists uh, on the left and political new political party founders give me hope um, because it's for them that you and I do what we do a lot of it you know yeah. it's for their their future um, and they see it the younger generation are coming through and seeing it um, um, and the mismanagement and the um, well the, the the lack of integrity with which we're governed at the moment so I do have faith in people and especially the younger generation at the moment they do give me hope and spur me on yeah me too me too yeah um, and speaking of, yeah just speaking of parliament as well um you know my thoughts have been with uh, Nadia Whittam uh, MP um this week um youngest MP in parliament and um who has been brave enough to admit that she's struggling um, with her mental health at the moment and he's taken a step back and um, uh, I, you know I really felt for her uh, I think it's a very brave thing that she's done but also we've just talked about the um, toxic atmosphere uh, in number 10 but in, in Westminster and the pressures um, on um, MPs and politicians and, and everybody uh, staff as well working in Westminster it's a very tough job um, and the atmosphere at the moment is is quite febrile and uh, I mean I don't know what you know has caused it it could have been a previous uh, work um, uh, but um, I think she's been really brave um, going to a doctor, um, seeking help and, and going public with it. And I think it will help a lot of other people as well who are struggling but don't like to admit the struggling. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, 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 my thoughts are with her in solidarity to... Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Full. Yeah. Lo- love to Nadia and hope she gets well soon. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, she, you know, yeah, really brave, like you say, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, well, we've used up our time, Thelma, and I haven't even I got around gone to talk- already. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to quickly sneak in this because I love this item. I'll be really quick. So okay. Boris Johnson has come up with a new idea for a tunnel. And it's a, I think it's a really good idea, actually. He's got, he, the plan is that he's going to link England, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland all together with a tunnel with a roundabout under the Isle of Man. Now, what about that? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, uh, I well, what, my immediate I, reaction was just to say to you, Garden Bridge, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Garden Bridge. I mean, I, <laughs> except, you know, probably about 10,000 times more expensive and, and just as useless. 
But anyway, yeah, fantastic. We don't, I don't think we even need to talk about it, really. We've probably said enough on that one. Um, but <laughs> I, just, I just think there's some irony in his plans for that when uh, Scotland could become independent, possibly well, yeah. Wales, and then unification <laughs> of Ireland, and, he, and then he ends up joining everybody together with a, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a tunnel. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, <laughs> but, yeah. But it might be like that on, in Thomas the Tank Engine, where they just put blocks and bricks up on the end of the tunnel so that no one can go through, you know. Um, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, there you are. Um, that's a, lot, a bit of news there for everyone. And, uh, yeah, uh, end of part one. And uh, looking forward to seeing Clive in a minute. Stick with us, thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Has he got to you already? He hasn't arrived. Uh, no, yet. no, I've just seen his photo. I've oh, right. His photo. He's connecting to all the Oh, hello. Hi, hi, Clive, you there? How's it going? I just look- there I he is. I, I was just looking at your posh photo. It's a right cool dude photo. Well, that, that one is. Which one was it? Uh, that one, Probably look at you. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I went back to the barber after lockdown, yeah, and he, um, <laughs> I said, I just, I just, I said, um, it was quite big, and I said, uh, "I like, I like having some hair. Can we um, just kind of compromise?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember, like it used to be. Like I used to cut everything off. Cut <laughs> it, it all off. Fine. I was like, it my looks... face, and, it, and he went, what? What MP? He calls me MP. He's African. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going to do that, Thelma." Um, well, yeah, so I've, um, yeah, I survived partly poor. And one of the reasons we wanted you back on, apart from the fact we love you to pieces, Clive, um, it is because of this idea of, you know, we'll, we'll talk later about this idea of a progressive alliance. And, um, and, and we, it's, it's coming up nearly every episode we do of this podcast about the future for the left, etc. cetera. And, and, and later on, we just want to hear. But, but more important than that, earlier on in the intro, we were talking about the Eurovision Song Contest. Hang on, let's get, um, the, let's get this started before you go on to it, because we haven't got the, um, the official... Um, oh, okay. You've not done uh, the intro. Okay. No, not, no right. let's just get it started and then you go on that. Oh, well, you've got to keep some of that conversation in, though, from uh, Clive about his hair. I thought it was Well, funny. I suppose we could be really unconventional and go right from the beginning and not have an intro. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, you Do you know, want I to think, try that? I think because I mean, he's been on before. Do you want an intro, Clive? I don't need it. I mean, only if you... I'm, I'm in your hands. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll pass on the intro. Uh, and we'll go with all that stuff. And if any, either of you say funny. you want to edit it, I think it'll make people laugh. Yeah, I yeah, I think it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. About your number three horse. Yeah, okay, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> oh, goodness me. <laughs> we're losing discipline here. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt, Thelma. Uh, you were like saying to Clive yeah, about um, uh, uh, an alliance, a, a socialist alliance or a left yeah. alliance. Yeah, well, we were talking... Yeah, well, oh, hang on, now my earpods are out. Um, yeah, no, I wanted to talk about the Eurovision Song Contest, first of all, Clive, because we were talking about early in the fact that uh, UK got no point um, and, you know, the kind of national embarrassment of that, but also the serious messaging um, of Europe's attitude and um, their views are on us and what's happening to our country. I just... I just wanted your thoughts on it you know in terms of uh, so i haven't i haven't given i haven't given it that much uh airtight air headspace but i mean I, I haven't read any review you know any kind of analysis of it but i mean just off the top of your head you can imagine you know eurovision is um 
is infamously known for being political. Um, and so, and, and it's, 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 it's music and politics through another, through another format. And I think you know, if you were going to interpret this in a political way, then you would probably think that this was a two fingers up to, to Britain, if you want. I'm sure the Scots wouldn't like that, but it was the Eurovision Song Contest. And they're saying you left um, and you also have an awful government um, who are embarrassing. And um, there you go, your point, your point. I mean, I mean, it's also entirely possible that the the, the band that we put up, um, who I am not a fan of Eurovision, but absolutely appalling, um, which you know is possible as well. And it's probably a combination of the two, which meant that. Fun, the, funnily the, enough, though, it seems to happen. Music. It happens every year. It happens every year. Though, we had didn't we? I mean, we. we had, I'm sure we've had other since, but I only remember Box Fears winning. But they won, didn't they? Box oh, That was quite a yeah. long time ago, Clive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I said it was like it was like a tumbleweed, you know. But I I I just got in at the end uh, when the scores were coming up. I was just saying earlier, and uh, I, I I just love the Graham Norton witty one-liners about it. That's you know that's the bit I tune in for because I think it's really funny. Is it? I don't think people tune in to see us. Maybe they do to see us win, but I think it's the the whole. Yeah. They know the point, yeah. uh, the politics, the, you know, Graham Norton. It's it's kind of like Euro trash kind of yeah. scale, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. But I just... Channel 4 News. But it just reflects, uh, you know, I was saying about this British exceptionalism as well and, you know, how, how some in our country perceive well. as... Well. I'd say the you know. Scots and the world should probably say no, it's English exceptionalism. But you know, yeah, yeah you know, it, Britain was the empire, English exceptionalism, which is, you know, in many ways there is a big dose of that in the the Brexit narrative that we are somehow a race apart, special. We built an empire, and I think you tend to find, you know, look, um, the, the, this nationalism tends to be a, a kind of function of of, of impotence. Of political impotence and as the world globalizes which it is and has um, as decisions begin to get taken in part because of the decisions of politicians 40 years ago outsourced so much of political and economic decision making to um you know uh, international institutions and corporations of which there is no democratic accountability that has kind of fed back into a growing sense of impotence and and it's and, it, and its expression is a growing sense of nationalism. This obsession with walls, whether it's Pretty Patel and and the walls that she's trying to build around this country, or whether it's Donald Trump and the the Mexico walls are also uh, an admission of, of failure of the fact that you need walls to kind of protect you from what's out there, mm -hmm. uh, and that in many ways psychologically, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the other thing I'm thinking of as well is, you uh, know, there's a drop of a hat. People hoard food or hoard toilet mm -hmm. roll. And there's something deeply psychological about the fact that people at the drop of a hat will do that. And I think it says that there's a deep unease about the future, deep unease, mm. like, a lack of control, a lack of agency mm. in their lives. It's not just that. I mean, even the billionaires who benefit from this system that is killing the planet, that is destroying us all, if you listen to them, billionaires, the reason they're building, you know, talking about sea, you know, cities under the sea or rockets to the moon or whether it's a survivalist out in New Zealand with their bunkers, 
because they understand the system that they're committed to, the system that is destroying the planet, but one that they are benefiting from, is also one that gives them no agency either. You know, it's completely out of the hands of any kind of democratic control or any sense of being able to control what's happening in the world. And that isn't something that we've always lived with. It's something that is a, is a recent phenomenon and something which I think means that politics increasingly seems irrelevant. And so do politicians, and some more than others. Um, but yeah, increasingly irrelevant with nothing to say. Well, that that brings me nicely, um, Clive, to to the next thing I, I wanted to talk to you about about politicians being irrelevant. But I, why the uh, main reason we wanted to have you back on was really one of the few members of Parliament that is challenging the current narrative, um, and is saying it doesn't have to be this way, and this is the possibility, and and in particular this idea of the. Uh, progressive alliance of, of the left um, and Tom and I really wanted to give you um, some time to just talk about um, I mean you, you did go for the leadership and then and then pulled out but if you were now leader of the opposition Clive what would you be saying and what would you be doing yeah um, a couple of things a number of things the first, first thing is I would have said that our democratic system is broken, not just nationally, but internationally. And that we need, you know, the whole point, my whole kind of narrative was transformed to win. That was the manifesto. And I look, was looking back at it the other day. It's still relevant. But it was basically saying we as a party have to get our own democracy in order to then be able to talk about democracy to the country. You can't preach democracy. You can't preach about empowering people, about making things transparent and accountable if your own political structures aren't. So that meant things like open selection, mandatory selection, so on, mandatory selection and stuff like that, but also about how we as a party organised ourselves, how we needed to become a proper members-led organisation and be able to reach out to others outside of the labour movement, the strict, narrow labour movement. So that was part of what was being said. But what I would be doing would be, A, I would be pushing the whole agenda of proportional representation, of complete constitutional reform, of engaging with the Scottish people about where they are, not where I want them to be, and the Welsh people as well. Um, I would be talking to other political parties on the centre and centre-left to say, how do we beat the Tories who have a system that is gained in their favour? It takes 36,000 votes to elect one Tory MP, uh, around about 50,000 plus for a Labour MP, 86,000 for every Liberal, 800, 860,000 for every one Green MP and, and something like 86,000 for every Liberal Democrat MP or something ridiculous like that. How do we come together to build a system which means that the Tories, who had a hung parliament in 2015, increased their in their share of the vote by a minuscule amount and then get an 86, 80, sorry, 81 seat majority uh, in this parliament? How do we stop that regressive minority from having that say, but not make it a loser's creed? How do we come together and agree a broad-based strategy to have a progressive alliance, an electoral strategy? to be able to get us over the line on the first past the post and fundamentally give power to people and change our electoral system. So that the Tories, basically, we can stop them being the dominant political force that they have been in this country for so long. I, I want to say one thing though, Thelma, one of the things that I did not come into politics for was to be an enabler of Liberal Democrats or um, to bang on about electoral voting systems. I didn't. I came in to change things for working people 
to make the country a better, fairer place, to make it more democratic, more accountable, and to and, and for it basically to be somewhere that our country that I'm proud of, which at the moment I'm not. Uh, there's lots of things to be proud of, but in terms of where this government have taken our country, I'm not. And I think ultimately that's what I came into politics for, not for this. And I think sometimes people think when you're talking about electoral alliances, progressive alliances, you're some kind of sellout. You, you want to get into bed with the Liberal Democrats, with the Green Party and so on. I'm a socialist. I'm a democratic eco-socialist. And I want a politics where that can be expressed and people's vote actually means something and people actually live in a society where they feel empowered, both politically and economically. Uh, and, and at the moment that isn't happening. And so that progressive alliance is a means to an end. I understand that people in that progressive alliance, once you get over that line, you know, we may all go our separate ways. You know, there are going to be people, I'm a socialist. I actually want to see a, a socialist economy um, that puts the ecology and people first. I understand that not everyone is going to want to challenge the power of capital as much as I'm going to want to do that. Leila Moran, Caroline Lucas might want to not go as far as me. Um, on some areas, they might want to go further. But that, for me, the definition of a progressive is, do you want to see more uh, more um, democracy? Do you want to see the power of capital curtailed and controlled? And if you do, then I can work with you. It doesn't make a difference how far you want to go, but I don't, I'm not going to I'm not going to say, well, I actually want to go further than you, therefore you're not as progressive. Now, we're past that now. The planet is burning. Democracy is dying. We need to work together to make those take those baby steps together and and to put things in place, which mean that we can actually have a fair democratic system. Is PR a panacea for, you know, for, no, look at Europe. Of course it isn't. But I think it's a starting point for a, a fundamental change to how we do politics in the country. So you know, I think it's really clear if I was leader, I would be building relationships with other political parties, including the SNP and Pride. I'd be honest and open. There are those who are going to say, well, the Tories are going to attack you for wanting to break apart the United Kingdom. No, you have to be honest with people. You have to say, listen, this is this is what we want to see happen. We're being honest and open with you. This is our agenda for change. If you can buy into that, come on board. And, and I think the other thing I'd also say is that this isn't about some kind of uh, Remainers revenge, about those that lost the PB vote kind of coming together and wanting a cabal of kind of bourgeois, liberal, green, uh, labor, you know, soft left uh, kind of cabal, electoral cabal. Nothing like that, because ultimately, I understand the only way we're going to get over the line is if we can reconnect with some of the people who we've lost during Brexit and, and, and subsequently after the 2019 election. Some of those people have to come back to us. And labor is the best vehicle for that if it has the right policies and the right attitude. And what would some of those policies look like? What I think one of the key things would be about a policy of re-embracing universalism. And, and, and if I've got a few minutes, I can tell you why I think that's important. What you have to remember is, let's think about those foundation seats, those foundation, those so-called red wall seats, foundation seats. Those, those people are not homogenous whole. That's the issue I had with the whole saluting the flag thing. You know, these people are not homogenous. They are, they're on a spectrum. Some of them are off with the, you know, the far right. Some are quite happy with the Tories and you won't, you won't prize them away. But there's a big section which we can prize away, away from the Tories. And there's a reason why some people now have moved away from the Labour Party who had historically been there. Lots of reasons, but one of the key reasons is 
If you look at many of the people now who own properties, uh, who have pensions, who have assets, they are thinking to themselves, the super rich are never going to be tackled. And that the reality is it's just going to be a transfer between working people. And I want my house, my property, my pension, my assets protected. Now, some of these people would have been blue collar workers. They would have been, you know, local government workers. But they are now thinking to themselves, actually, my best interest with a social care system which is functional is looking after my property, my, my assets, my pension, and having something that will basically, they, they basically associate themselves with the capitalist class and capitalist interest. And the best party for that, the Conservatives, the triple lock pension, they will basically protect my material interests. And that's what those people, I think many of those people are now thinking, and they have basically lumped themselves with the Tories. Now that's difficult for us because many of those people will have been or are working people, but they are now through a, se a series of policies that have taken place over the 40 years, they are now, they believe, locked into the Tories. Now, some of those people, we're not going to be able to peel away, but some we can. And the way I would do that is through universalism. And that's whether that's universal basic services, universal um, basic income or uh, social care policy. It's by basically saying to these people, we're going to provide social care. You're not going to have to sell your council house or sell your home to be able to provide for yourself in older age. We're going to look after you. We're also going to look after everyone in society, your children, your family, others who don't have those assets through these universal services, these universal, this universal basic income as well. And we're actually going to provide. And that way people would then feel that they don't, it's not a race to the bottom, that their, their interests are not necessarily always going to be associated with the Tories. And you begin to peel those people away. I mean, look, that's just a basic outline of what you need to do. But people's insecurity means that they are looking at where their material well-being is going to be best served in a hostile economic environment, which the Tories and neoliberalism over the last 40 years has generated. And we've got to work out how we can give them the confidence to come back to us. But they're not going to come back to us if they think we're never going to, if, if our policies are pie in the sky, we're never going to be able to get over the line. So that's why the Progressive Alliance side of things, the Electoral Pact, is also saying we can actually deliver this. We can actually deliver this and we can actually get over the line and we, actually, we can actually do it. Now, I'm not saying that every other political party is going to buy into every aspect of what we do. And that confidence and supply agreement as you got over the line might be able to get you certain things done on the Green New Deal, on constitutional reform, on voting. But ultimately, what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to get that voting system through that package have another election under PR, and then you can begin to form an alliance that can actually win the change that you want to see. Now, people are saying, my God, that's just so far away from the reality. You know, how are you going to do that? Well, I would ask people, someone else come up with a plan that doesn't involve a new leader, you know, these fantastic kind of middle ground politics uh, and policies, and hope that the Tories implode, because that's a wing and a prayer, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that is an actual strategy. It's, a pencil, it's an outline pencil strategy in this programme, but it's an actual strategy and an actual analysis of what's actually happening. The whole thing around culture, yes, culture is important, but actually, do I think these people are, are suddenly turned to the Tories because they like chomping on Winston Churchill's cigars and, and bowing to the flag? No, I don't. I think some of those things come afterwards when you begin to believe that you're now you know part of this class and you kind of buy into the the whole culture side of things but actually i think that's secondary i think the, the key reason why we're not connecting with people is because a they don't think we can win and b their material interests many of them believe their material interests for them and their family in the future 
is with the Conservative Party and the and the class that represents you know the cap, that represents that that capital class of capital. So you when, know, that's, that's, when you just yeah. coming in on that, Clive, when you when you say about why we're not connecting with people, I presume you're talking about the Labour Party, isn't? Um, but but generally, over fifty percent of people in in Hartlepool didn't even turn out to vote. Um, and that voter apathy, how do you address that, though? I mean, you've described very clearly uh, how we might win back those votes from, you know, those that are going to the Conservatives in, in those working class, predominantly working class northern seats. But what what do you do about that over 50% of Hartlepool people not even turning out to vote? I think, one, give them a reason to vote. So, look, first of all, you know, if you don't think your vote's going to change anything, you're not going to vote. So that's the first thing. What, secondly, I think we know that under PR, more people feel, they, feel that their vote matters. Um, that, that could help. But obviously, under the current situation, that's, you know, we under, we're under at first past the post. I think the Labour Party getting rid of it, I understand it's, it's in a financially difficult place, but I think getting rid of the community uh, organising section of the party was a mistake, is a mistake. I think that's that, that's the future of campaigning. But having policies that are relevant to people's lives, um, giving people a sense, and I think working with others, I think it would be such a shock. You know, the, the mainstream media would go, would go apoplectic. Um, Boris Johnson or Tories would be agitated because they would, people would finally see that the Labour Party, the Liberal Democrats, the Greens, SME were saying, you know what, enough of this we're we're putting aside our differences we don't agree on everything we're putting aside differences to beat these guys because these guys are bad it's the worst government we've ever seen look at the revelations of yesterday and dominic cummings this but yeah, we yeah. should be we should be 15 points ahead on this government but we're not not just because it's a it's a it's a poor opposition and it is not just because of that it's because of some structural factors as well which mean that this government can literally do what it wants it can kill us Hundred, you know, tens of thousands of people, 100,000 plus people have died because of this government's incompetence and, uh, and callousness. You know, and think on that for a second. And we're still 10%, 10 points behind. But you know, to come back to your question on how to get the people to vote, there is an also another way, I think. All the other things I said, plus, I think, look what the government are doing now. They're trying to, this, this voter uh, suppression bill that's going through, there is an opportunity for a mass cross-party campaign like we saw with Stacey Abrahams in the US. And let's not forget, you know, the civil liberties organizations like the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center in the US have specifically said and stated that this policy from a conservative government is akin to the Republican voter suppression laws that are being passed or have been passed across the United States to stop poor and black people from voting in elections. That's happening here and now. So why not a Stacey Abrahams drive with civil society, all of the political parties to get people registered, to give them what they need to make sure that they can vote. And you know what? Not everyone's going to vote for us. That's not the point. And I think the very act of engaging with people in taking part in that mass democratic campaign, I think we say to people, actually, these people have my interests at heart because they're making sure that not only do I have the ability to vote, but I can vote and I and I actually I might actually listen to them in the process of this of this engagement. So I think there's a massive opportunity for the Labour Party, all political parties and civil society to take this attack on our voting and our voting rights and our voting system and turn it on its head to our advantage if we wanted to. Um, but we, we but how 
how are we going to do it? I know this is a tricky one for you, Clive, but how are we going to do it with the PLP we've got presently? I mean, you touched on open selection and I know it's tricky for you this, but you know where I'm coming from with this. I mean, after the revelations from Cummings yesterday, I haven't so far today heard anyone from the opposition, from Labour, calling for resignations. I have heard a couple of Labour MPs starting to criticise Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and what do you do with that, Clive? You know, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. I think your vision is so sound. And um, I'm, not, I'm not being negative because I want this to work. And you know I'm involved with with people coming together um, and the smaller political parties in particular being involved in this. Um, but the, the PLP, without open selection um, and some of the attitudes within, not all, obviously, but some of the attitudes in the current PLP, I don't know how it's possible to do this through Labour, if I'm really honest. Yeah, I, <laughs> you do have your head in your hands sometimes, don't you? Um, you know, good Dominic Cummings speaks about, you know, unbelievable levels of incompetence and callousness and and uh, members of my of, of my own political party turn on Jeremy Corbyn and you could you couldn't make it up in a novel really um mm. but look the thing about look when I talk about man, when I talk about mandatory reselection I can tell you now personally it would be a complete ball ache for me as an MP and also as well it would be difficult because every Every four or five years, I would have to go back to my selector and say to them why I'm the best person for the job. Um, and 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 look, that that that's difficult. And I and I understand why MPs wouldn't want that. But if you think that's bad, and this is, I think, the way in, then PR is even worse. Because if you think about it, the MPs who are in the Labour Party now are probably thinking to themselves, well, I mean, uh, if I've survived this, we don't normally go down below 30% in the polls. We don't normally go in the but it look, it's looking like it is. And I would say that, you know, most of the people who are left in the PLP are people who are in relatively safe seats. Um, and if you're in a safe seat, it's a job for life. Now, when I go on, I'm in a relatively safe seat now. It's not always been. It's, it, it has the potential to not be. But we've had to work at that. But I also understand that if you bring in PR, that that will make it far more difficult to have um, safe seats and therefore jobs for life. Now, that is for a political class who have been used to having safe seats, uh, have been used to having, uh, you know, having a job for life. Um, not all of them, but many of them. That's a really difficult concept to get your head around. Now, I would say rather than go on about mandatory reselection and internal issues in the Labour Party, the way around that is through campaigning and working for PR, because I think that will radically change. It means that there will be no such thing as a safe seat. So the concept of, of mandatory selection then becomes a lot easier if you have a system of PR in place, um, because the whole notion of a safe seat, to me, is tied inextricably to a first path the pro system uh, where you can have things such as safe seats. So under a system of PR, that would be a lot less likely. And I think that's the way around it. And, look, and, and you know, look, it, I understand people can be demoralised with, the, you know, the Labour Party and a lot of people are, but it's you can either put your head in your hands and, and turn vicious and, and attack everything that happens. Well, you can think of constructive ways around this, which are bedded in democrat, you know, in progressive democratic ideals, which is what I do. I don't spend energy, you know, banging my head against the PLP or, or, or banging my head against the brick wall of the Labour Party. I try to work and organise with others who want to see change, because ultimately 
the Labour Party will not be able to stand in the way of progressive change and democratic change. And, and you can see that with PR. There's no fight or pushback against PR in the Labour Party because there isn't an argument against it. And that's the problem. Same with Progressive Alliance. People will come out with, you know, the same old tried and tested tribal arguments about why this isn't the right thing. But ultimately, whether it's from the left or the right, what it means is you're defending a system of, of government whereby you get to dictate your version of socialism or social democracy to the rest of the country. And actually, you know what? That's, I, I think it's a weak argument. And the whole idea of, of, of having um, proportional representation, the whole idea of having a progressive alliance is basically an understanding that there are people out there that cannot afford to have a conservative government for the next 10, 15 or 20 years. We are failing in our mission to change people's lives. That's what we came into politics for. And the current system of banging our head against the brick wall isn't working. So I'm, I'm kind of tired of the one more heave argument. And I think you're now beginning to see other people, not just in the Labour Party, but outside of it, begin to come to terms with this. The emperor's clothes have been called out and people are beginning to see the sheer fallacy of trying to dictate, you know, in a broken system, socialism and hand it down to people from above. Let's have it come up from the bottom, which is the way that socialism in the 21st century in a network society should be, you know? Tom, do you want yeah. to come in? Sorry, I've uh, been uh, uh, monopolising the time with Clive. I think I've been talking a lot. No, that's good. no, no, uh, no. We wanted you to, Clive. That's we the point, really. That is the point, Clive, because yeah. I've kind of come round to the view that we have to get this done, and um, to do any to not do it is just to, it just turns it all into a talking shop that achieves nothing, and I I'm pretty much on board with everything you say, except obviously I'm. Uh, I can't quite see how it's going to happen with... I'm, I know I'm repeating what Thelma said, but I'm going to diverge a little bit from that, in that I think the people are ready for it. The 60%, or it's more than 60%, really, because there's a whole load of, there's a whole load of people who don't vote, who would vote, who would get interested in politics. The people are ready for this, and they know it's got to change. This can't go on. But the Labour Party aren't ready for it. Now, I, I, and I don't, I, it's interesting, I've not heard this thing of don't waste your time knocking the PLP, get on with something positive. So I'm, I'm a bit wary of that now. I, I, I'll try not to knock them. But I think it'll come through people such as... You're very, you've got a powerful way of speaking and you, you don't bullshit and you say it how, how, how it is and you, I like it, it's good. And, and people will like that. And, and there are other people like you in the Labour Party, the same, but there are an awful lot that aren't, haven't got that. Uh, and I think the way this is going to happen, you see, if the, what you're saying is that the PLP have got to get behind PR, and, and I, that, that could never happen or take forever. What I think needs to happen, I think the rest of the groups, the, the Lib Dems, the Greens and all these little guys, they'll get behind it no problem. And I think we'll get quite a few people on the left of the Labour Party who'll get behind it, no problem. But I think we may have to stand, in some constituencies, you may just have to stand against the Labour Party because they're going to have people, they're old dinosaurs that are just hanging on to their money and nonsense. 
that just are never going to come round. And and that some some situations you're just going to have to stand. But there's almost going to have to be a PR party, in a way, which I know some people are going to be horrified by that idea. But it's only for one election because once we get PR, then people can go back to whatever party they want to be in and and so, have an election straight away and bosh. I tell you what, Tom. It's, it's not. It's look. In so many ways, it's not for the PLP to decide. It's for party conference to decide. Obviously, our party being the the the, the, the kind of democratic ideal that we all know it to be. Um, <laughs> it will the, the leader's office and um, the various apparatus within the Labour Party will then mobilise behind that policy and make sure that it happens. Um, look, the only way you're going to get PR, if we pass that policy at conference, the only way we're going to get it is by working in an electoral alliance with others to get over the line, to bring it in. The Tories are not going to dismantle um, their super weapon, uh, which is what first past the post is. It, it overwhelmingly favours them. They're not going to They're not going to go, hey, we've seen the lie, you know, democratic lie. We're going we're gonna to have to do this ourselves. And... I think there's a lot of people, I read Tony Blair's article in the uh, New Statesman, and it's very well written, um, but it's basically a rehash of, you know, there is no alternative, you know, get behind, you know, get with the programme. Instead of globalisation, it's technological change. Um, but ultimately, at the heart of that, there is a belief really at the heart of it that if with the right leader and with the right policies, you can basically do a 1997 all over again. You can't. Things have materially yeah. changed. And we've seen across the red wall, that that isn't there anymore. He took that for granted um, from 97 onwards. And and we are now reaping the whirlwind from a party in, you know, in the noughties. You know, I have colleagues who are in the north who've screamed at me during the leadership campaign for daring to say that under New Labour, um, things were not rosy in parts of the north. The industrialization of our manufacturing uh, capacity happened disproportionately under New Labour in the noughties as, thing, as, as companies mm. move capital out to China and other parts of the world where they had cheaper labor and so on and so forth. So that happened on our watch. And what did we replace it with? Well, we replaced it with Sure Start and, um, and uh, in-work benefits and uh, the minimum wage and so on. But actually there was no industrial policy, not for, for many years under new labor. And there were lots of things that we didn't get right. Uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't you know, dismantle anti-trade union legislation, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, look, I understand there, there are lots of arguments for this kind of revival of the Labour Party. But it's not going to happen in the next two years, and it's probably not going to happen in the next two years. I don't think it can, because I think structurally we're in a completely different place. Um, and that means that the Labour Party has to wake up to this. And I think the members are, and I think other political parties are. Because don't forget, you know, Greens and Liberal Democrats and others who may not be in the Labour Party still rely on the Labour Party being an effective opposition to have progressive policies passed in Parliament under a Labour government, whatever we think, you know, whatever they might think about Labour government, they're reliant on the on the Her Majesty's opposition sometimes being in power, and we're not. So that means that all progressives uh, suffer as a result of Labour's failure. So I think for me now, and this is the difference now, it's not down to the PLP. Let's see what happens at conference on PR. But I think once we get that policy, there will then be a shift as people go, well, hold on a second, we've got this policy for PR now, um, how do we enact it? You know, the Tories aren't going to bring it in. And then I think the penny is already beginning to drop for a lot of people that actually we're going to have to work with others to get this through. There are some pitfalls, you know. If you, if, if, if you make this the centrepiece of all you're talking about in this so-called electoral pact, it looks like a loser's creed. It looks like, well, we can't win under this system, so we're going to change the game, the rules of the game, so that we can win. 
it's got to be more than just that. It's got to be a crusade for a renewal of our democracy. I would say you can also fit some other things in there about the Green New Deal and probably about social care, which is something I'm working on with others to see whether there is a core of policies, which no matter which political party you're in outside of the Tories and the kind of far right, you can agree on um, that if there was a kind of confidence and supply government, that in those two years there are certain things that we can agree on bringing in on which there could be support. And that if you vote for one of these parties and this electoral pact, you know that you're getting certain things on the environment, certain things on universalism, certain things on social care, and certain things on democracy. And you can do so with confidence because they would have signed up to that. So there are things that we can work on, things that we can do. But I guess to kind of answer your question, listen, political parties don't have a right to exist. You know, the SPD in Germany is on 14%. You know, it's between the Greens and the Christian uh, Democrats in Germany. In France, you know, they're, they're virtually gone. Uh, in, you know, where they have survived, they basically sold, you know, for example, in Denmark, they've become kind of extreme blue labor, where, you know, they have policies where they strip, you know, immigrants of all their personal possessions before they come into the country. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's you know, if that's what we want to become, if that's what we think we need to do to win, it's not a party that I want to be involved with, frankly. So there's some real tough questions for us about the future of social democracy in this country, democratic socialism, whatever you want to call it. We do not have a right to exist. And I would argue that what we're seeing now is probably um, the only thing holding us together is the first past the post system. After PR, there probably will be a political realignment of politics. I know there are lots of people like yourself Thelma that will want to see that. And that won't just happen to the Labour Party, it will happen to uh, the Conservative Party as well. But that political realignment shouldn't be, we shouldn't be scared of it, we shouldn't be fearful of it. It's mm. <laughs> Just coming in up there, Clive, with that, being scared and fearful, what Breakthrough Party, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Breakthrough Party based in Manchester, new uh, left, well, Democratic Socialist Party, uh, standing a candidate in the Cheshire Amersham uh, by-election. Um, I, I don't know if any of the smaller parties are going to be standing in the Batley and Spen by-election. What are your thought? What are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on um, these smaller left party standing candidates? Uh, so, I mean, if, if they can get themselves on the ballot, which is uh, which, is, and that happens, I think then it's, it depends on on their pitch. But it's problematic because what it is, it's a fragmentation of the centre-left vote, of the, of the non-Tory vote. And, and that increasingly means it makes it more difficult for in a two-party, because under first-past-the-post, mathematically speaking, there can only be two main parties. Okay, and for, but, it, but isn't that Labour just taking for granted the vote? Isn't that, you know, the, the kind of point of having, uh, giving people a choice Yes, um, I, I agree with you entirely. But the, the, the problem we face is on the first pass of post, you know, if, if you cannot, if you cannot um, collate your, your opposition to the other main party, if it can't come under the umbrella of that main party, then you, you're punished. And then what happens is you get one party state, which is, which is pretty much where we're heading. But some people, Clive, would say that we've got that with the moment. And, and what it creates, especially when you've got, you know, media and uh, the balance of, of political and economic forces 
you know, on the rye, what that means is you get blue team, red team, because this so-called mythical centigrade, it basically means that when the, the blue team have expended themselves, no longer want power, as occasionally happens, you get, you know, the, the, you know, the red team have basically said, well, we'll basically pick up the ball. We won't change anything fundamentally. And it's our turn to be in power. It's our turn to have a go, at, at, you know, to, to, to run the country, to pull on some of the levers and see nothing, nothing very much happen. And, and ultimately, you get that growing frustration in the long term, the fact that it doesn't make a difference which party is in power. It seems to be the same direction of travel, more or less. Or the blue team basically just pick up where they left off knock over what you've done and carry on. And that's what I think a lot of people have seen over their political lifetimes. I certainly have. Doesn't mean that what the red team, everything the red team does is wrong, but it's not fundamental. It's not transformative. It can't because it doesn't have, it doesn't control the balance of forces within society, within the economy to be able to achieve that. So, you know, look, these smaller parties standing, I understand if it is, if they're, my fear is that someone somewhere has looked at UKIP and how they, uh, basically operated as an insurgency party against the Conservatives and just thought we're going to do the same against Labour. And if that is a tactic, uh, or dare I say a strategy, that smaller parties on the centre-left or the left are going to run to split the left-Labour vote, then that is problematic for the Labour Party because it basically means that in every by-election, every election, there are going to be an even greater number of opportunities for people to vote elsewhere on the center center left of politics and that's problematic now people will say labor party members will say you're just doing the tories work for them well the alternative is to say okay how do we agree a political voting system iepr how do we achieve that that means working together to work out who stands in what seat i think if there was a commitment from the labor party to adopt pr as part of a wider set of packaging of reforms I think you'll find a lot of these parties would, would disappear or that there wouldn't be a need for people to vote for them because people would understand that the political realignment was now on the political agenda and Labour was signed up to it. But my warning to my own party is, do not think that things are going to get better just because, because they'll now be talk inevitably in the next two years of replacing Keir that already has been um, over the kind of box reshuffle that took place. And that changing the leader is suddenly going to mean that we're now you know, going to go back onto winning ways. You didn't get you. Look, if you look at Keir Starmer on paper, there wasn't a more elect, you know, so you don't get more electable than Sir Keir Starmer in his suit, theoretically, according to the beauty contest that is Labour Party leadership contest. And yet, look, look at the look at the look at the dog of Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson is a political dog and he is winning hands down. Keir, Sir Keir Starmer. You know, former uh, DPP uh, with a ceremonies title, and we're struggling. So it's not about the. If we think it's just about the beauty contest of the leader, then we're fundamentally failing. And changing, you know, the leader is not is not going to change the problems that we confront. Yes, we'll get a honeymoon period. Yes, we'll get a blip, but it won't fundamentally change the problems that we face. That's going to take root and, and branch reform and changes and a different way of doing politics. And just, just talking about leaders, though, don't you think that's part of the problem that we've got so many people in the Labour PLP, well, in politics generally, but in the Labour PLP, who are vying for that leadership? Um, I mean, I could say you're, you're one of them, Clive, but actually I trust... Do you know what? I trust I, I, you. I, 
You know what? I, I, I can say it on your program now. If there was a leadership contest tomorrow, I wouldn't go for it. I'm not interested. I'm not interested partly because that isn't. No, you know, there's no. I guess the, the reason I wouldn't go for it is a. I'm not. I, I'm not a sucker for punishment. I, I got my hat mm. ass handed to me by the PRP last time. I'm not going to kind of throw myself against that brick wall again. And then, well, I'm sorry. I'm actually sorry to hear that. I guess I had a real chance of getting in, and I haven't. And the last year hasn't been, exactly been the easiest opportunities to schmooze with members of the PLP. So, you know, the, if, if Kiev falls on his sword in the next two years, uh, unfortunately, I, at this moment in time, I'm not in a position to be able to go for that. But there are, you know, I would like to think there'll be people in the PLP who would see the writing on the wall. And I'm quite happy for them to plagiarise some of the ideas I'm championing and, and run with them. And if that's what it takes, for the party to change fundamentally then, then great i hope that happens i just my, my fear is that that tribal laborist mentality will win out and that the party will mm. convince itself that with a new leader with new policies um probably more to the set to the right and the center um well it's my fear my fear is it's yeah, gonna, the think, next leader is going to be even more right wing and um, I, I, I just think there's always too many egos there that it's just about being leader um, and, and, and the actual party and the policies are secondary uh, to people's egos. And I think that's a fundamental problem. I think you're right, Kevin. I think it's increasingly clear, clear that Keir didn't really have much of an idea about what he was going to do or any kind of vision. I mean, you know... I understand, you know, in some ways, that's an advantage when you're standing in, in a political party. You, you, you make political enemies by taking political positions. And if you, the fewer political positions you take, the fewer enemies you make. So when you stand for leader, people think, well, this person thinks like me and probably wants the same things as me. You can't prove it. You can't, you know, there's nothing to say that they aren't. So, hey, well, hell, why don't I vote for this person? Everyone, you know, everyone sees them as they want to. And you can, you can be all things to all people. Um, if you put yourself on the line and you speak your mind and you say what you think needs to happen, you're gonna you're gonna come up against people who disagree with you. And 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 it it so often happens in political uh, parties that people who are quite um, not marmite but kind of quite bland tend to do quite well. But they don't make political enemies. Mm. I think the problem is Keir's got in and he and he and he, and he hasn't. He, he just doesn't have a vision or a plan. And he's put people around him who frankly don't have either. And. And that's problematic when you're trying to run. <laughs> can can I just, Clive, can I just ask? I, I, yeah, I mean, totally agree with a lot of that. Uh, I, there's, there's very few people in the Labour Party that have got any idea or got a plan. Um, but um, can I just uh, say, uh, let's just take a look, hypothetically, obviously, that everything goes our way and we get PR and, uh, and there's... I don't know how many socialists in this country, 15 million, I don't know how many, uh, about perhaps 30% of the electorate are socialists, I should think, something like that. We're not going to get socialism from PR, and I think some people think that's an argument against PR, don't they? A lot. Of, I think some people think that if we had a genuine socialist Labour Party, it would win first past the post. I don't think it would. So um, I, I kind of, I think... I think that's a very 20th century view of socialism. So I think 2019 was probably, and I hope, the last time the Labour Party tries to implement socialism from above. You know, look, I love the 2019 manifesto, but it was basically about doing socialism to people. It was, there was little in there about, you know, it was Bevan that said, we win power to give it away. And I think we've forgotten that in the Labour Party. 
And you know that the, the example I gave at the um, the PLP hustings for leadership for the leaders, uh, the leader, which it was which was so many tumbleweed moments, was when I, I remember saying, "You think about the two 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 policies under New Labour, one one a complete one a success, one a failure, Sure Start and Energy Cooperatives. One exists still, one is gone. Sure Start, we all love it, fantastic. You know what it did, investing in the poorest in our communities." in the start for children and families. But it came from Whitehall from above and was dropped into communities with funding streams from the center. Okay. And that's how we think about, that's how we think about socialism in the Labour Party still doing socialism, doing things to communities. And then energy cooperatives, it was basically giving people the ability to own and control and invest in their own energy, renewable energy. One is now around, one is gone. The energy cooperatives remain because when you give people power, in this case, literal power, you know, in terms of control, cooperative control over that, that, that those, those energy assets, they're not going to let them go. And no matter what the government do, you've got hold of that and you're not going to let it go. That's how we have to see socialism in the future. Not doing it to people, but giving people power and control over their own lives. Yes, you set the parameters, the, 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 that, that, you know, they, they you know, what, you decide the what, they decide the how. And that's the future of socialism. It is not about winning under first past the post or winning a majority and telling people this is socialism. And this is the story I always tell. Ana Gomez, the MEP, Portuguese MEP, former Portuguese MEP, 2018, Labour Party, I think it was a, a Momentum Fringe event. I'm sat next to her and she goes, oh, looking at her phone, she goes, oh, Clive, the Spanish socialists. They're going to win the they're going to win the election outright in September in a, in, a, in a month or so's time. They're on course. And I was like, that's great news, brilliant. She sat there and she's looking at her phone and she's got her head in her hand and she's going, oh, oh. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? She went, I don't want them to win outright. And I went, pardon? You're a socialist, Anna. I'm a socialist. Our, our comrades in the Spanish Socialist Party, uh, they're socialists. We want them to win. She said, no. She says. I've been around too long. I know my friends, my comrades in the Spanish Socialist Party. I want them to be the biggest party. And I said, why? Because they'll have to reach out rather than dictate and become hubristic. They'll have to reach out and negotiate. And that negotiation, that process of reaching out will make for better politics, better policies. And you'll bring people in and along with you. And it's more sustainable. And I just thought, oh, my God, that is such an alien way of thinking. But that's what the future is. If you look at young people, they're networked, they're connected, they talk to each other. They don't want to be told. People don't want to be told that this is what's happening to you. They want to be empowered and they want the ability to make that change themselves. And that's what we've got to remember. So that, so my answer to you is, you know, under PR, we're going to have to look at, whatever you think of Jacinda Ahern. You know, she won under PR, she won a majority. So it is possible. But what did she do, her first act? She brought in the Greens to her administration. Didn't have to. She did it because she understands politics and she understands how to win people over and bring people with her. And I think that's one of the things sometimes on the left we forget. We want to impose because we're so sure of ourselves. We're sure, so sure that we know the way, the truth, the lie, that you have to understand and that we're going to win a majority and impose it on you because it's for the good of everyone. I just kind of think there are limitations to that, especially if you can't win. So maybe we need to start thinking about how do we bring people with us? And one of the articles I'm thinking of writing is about the art of compromise. 
You know, we've lost it. Mm. How do we rekindle it? How do we find it? Have we ever had it? But that, that, that art of compromise, I think, is something that we need to relearn and understand that we won't get everything. But the alternative is having everything our way and very rarely being in power or compromising and being in power more often. And that's the better deal. Yeah, totally. I, I do wish our listeners could see you on, on the Zoom <laughs> screen. Um, oh. The passion there. The, the, Are you the okay if I gestures. take a screenshot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, the, the passion that honestly that was there and Clive you know when you say that you know you wouldn't go for the leadership a lot of people are listening to what you're saying um especially the younger generations and it it does need it does need people like you and I well I, I just think you have that vision Thank and, you, and, you, and, and I, I really and, appreciate that because it's lovely to hear and but you know there, there, there's there are other, um, what I've realised in so many ways, not being on the front, but you know, everyone thinks, well, if you're on the front bench, if you're, if you're in the shadow cabinet, you're a leader of the Labour Party. Actually, thought leadership, speaking your mind, having the ability to be able to say what you need to happen. There's other ways of leading. Um, yes. We have yeah. an official title with it. And, you know, if, you know, look, I, I want to see change. If, if someone who does want to stand and who can get the nominations whether that's Angela Rain or whoever else listens to what I'm saying or what other people are saying and poaches those ideas, then, you know, jobs are good. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to be able to implement my vision myself. But ultimately, if you're about giving away power to others, then you, you, you've got to have a relationship with power, which is flexible, which is like, you know what, I'm not going to be at the centre of things. I think that's what the Labour Party needs to understand. There is this hubris to politics at the moment that we know best that only we know the way forward, that only we can take our country forward. And I think we need to kind of let go of that and have a far more tolerant, open approach to leadership and to engagement and to bringing people with us rather than dictating mm. to them. So, you know, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd, I'd love to be able to be in a position to do this if it came up in the future, but I'm also pragmatic and realistic. And I also have a sense of pride and I'm not gonna like smash my head against <laughs> What about me? I lost my deposit last oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get worse than that. Okay. I, I, I bounced I, back, Clive. You will bounce. Okay. You have bounced. You have bounced back, Thelma. It didn't take you long. Can't keep a good no. socialist down, Thelma. <laughs> What do you say, Clive? Can't keep a good socialist down. <laughs> no, socialist doesn't go uh, go away, does it? Socialism <laughs> doesn't go away. <laughs> no. Brilliant. Okay, that's brilliant. I mean, we've done a real long podcast, but it's been a belter. So, Clive, thank you so much for coming on again. And, and I'm going to say, I haven't checked with Thelma, but I really hope you'll come on again, Clive. It's, <laughs> it's so... Uh... I love coming on you <laughs> <laughs> it's like I feel really bad at the end. I think, my like, God, I've ranted. So yeah, well, next time, all. mate, we're not going to give you quite so much space. But um, <laughs> right. we, we we particularly invited you on to say what you wanted to say this time. So it was good, and you said it. And uh, and uh, it's just that it kind of comes up every flipping week, doesn't it? How are we going to get out of this mess? I, and Thelma remembers Tom when I first started saying. I remember I first started saying these kind of things back in 2017. And people think I was saying it to undermine Corbyn. And I wasn't. I was saying it because I wanted to win. And if he had accepted what the Greens, when the Greens fell on their sword in all those seats and said, we're not going to stand, if we just reciprocated in a couple yeah. of, you know, he could be, he could have been leader in 2017. And we mustn't forget that 
and I, and I know and I know we all hear these horror stories about Greens, you know, going and getting into bed with this party or the Liberal Democrats doing that. We all know horror stories. I know, you know, we all know horror stories about the Labour Party as well. We, we've got to kind of get past that and acknowledge that actually we've got to keep our eyes on the bigger prize and um, not be distracted by these smaller issues and just say, you know, look, what's the focus? And I think if we do that, I think we can we can really go places. And but it, it requires a laser-like focus. Um, and it's hard. Mm. It's hard. Mm. Well, I, I'm looking forward to uh, you know I'm working with some of these uh, smaller uh, political parties and campaign groups, and I'm 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 looking forward to working with you in the future, Clive, and mm. and seeing you talked about compromise and Brilliant. cooperation. Okay, excellent. And, uh, yeah, I agree so, with you. I think thanks I think for sticking with us, listeners. Thank you, Thelma. Brilliant co-host. Thank you, Clive. Brilliant guest. And. Uh, uh, yeah, pass you over to Thelma to say goodbyes. Oh, and Clive, if you want to say goodbye, Clive, please feel free, bro. <laughs> but I'm just slightly concerned you might go off on another one, mate, and we'll do another quarter of an hour. Oh, no, <laughs> thank you. You're five Well, I, I, hope, I, hope I, actually, I hope I actually see you um, uh, in real life this summer, perhaps, Clive. That'd be lovely. Have a, have a coffee together, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Tom, my uh, podcast pal. And thanks, Clive, for coming on again. And uh, yeah, as I've just said, I'd love to see you soon, uh, not just over Zoom. Um, so, um, the words of Plato Good people do not need laws to tell them to act responsibly while bad people will find a way around the laws. Solidarity.